from the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Anthony DeMarco and Daniel Lesh. everybody welcome to flyers ad here it is friday january 3rd 2020 oh man we are moving quick here approaching the midway point of the season well actually we are in the midway point 41 games have been played flyers are 22 14 and 5 for 49 points they are currently still clinging on to that second wild card spot though the florida panthers are in hot pursuit uh it has been a rather rough uh, road trip here. We last time we did a show, I believe, was last Friday, so it was before the uh, California games, and uh, we were feeling pretty good coming off the Christmas break. They were doing good. I was buying into this team finally, being hey, maybe there's something here. And they go out to California. They lose to the Sharks six to one. They beat Anaheim two to one, though by no means was that a good game. They uh, lost to the Kings five to three, and then they lost to the Golden Knights last night five to four. Anthony, what the hell is going on with the Flyers? Well, first and a happy new year, not so happy new year to the Flyers, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like I haven't watched 100% of the games, I'll kind of break it down game by game, San Jose first came back from the Christmas break, first game of the road trip, they're going up against a San Jose team who was played the night before, was pissed off, I think they were coming off of a relatively embarrassing loss, they lay an egg, no big deal, you know, it happens to every team. I wasn't, I watched the first two periods. I just said, okay, whatever. Put that in the rearview mirror. You move forward. Anaheim wasn't a perfect game by any means, but I will say that they probably win in regulation. If not for John Gibson, that guy is insane. Top five goaltender in the league. Too bad he's stuck out in Anaheim. But still considering how poor of an opponent Anaheim was, the Flyers still should have probably found a way to pull it out in regulation. But whatever, no harm, no foul. They win in overtime. Great move by uh, your favorite Kevin Hayes. L.A., New Year's Eve, I didn't watch at all. I, I was even missed the first 10 minutes of it before I got home. And then I looked down on my phone, so I was 3 nothing. I said, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> like, why the fuck am I going to put this through, like, myself through this torture? And that game, I just heard that it was pretty terrible, despite I think it ended 5-3. And last night, you know, I mean... I watched the first period, but from what I saw, you know, the Flyers didn't play horrible, but, like, I don't know what the fuck got into this defense lately. Like, coming back from this Christmas break, there were just breakdowns all over the damn place. The fourth line got exposed, especially Vorobiev. He had a real, real tough night. And, you know, the Flyers just, you know, almost made a comeback there. I heard that they failed to score on a six-on-three as the power play continues to, you know, just be underwhelming at best. So, I mean, I don't really think it's a big deal that they've lost three of their last four games and are pretty much five and five over their last ten, but it's more the way that the Flyers are coming out or lack thereof. Yeah, well, I watched every minute of those last four games, and I hate myself for it, but... 
<laughs> San, you know, they came out against San Jose. That was, you know, the Flyers don't do well in San Jose. They never really have. They were coming back after a break. San Jose lost 10 of their last 11. Like, that is the perfect storm for the Flyers to get blown out. One game, fine, whatever. The Ducks game, it was a battle of the goaltenders uh, in the Anaheim game. Both Elliott and uh, Gibson played extremely well. But again, no harm, no foul. They won, whatever. Going against LA, they just got their asses kicked in the first 10 minutes. And really afterwards, it wasn't that bad. But at that point, they were in such a deep hole that they couldn't come back. And we pretty much saw the same thing last night against Vegas, where, you know, Vegas was just, it was a shooting gallery in the first period, and they were up quite a bit, and it was a deficit the Flyers just could not come back from. And it's concerning their work ethic as of late. Because for a long time there, it was one of the things they had going. You know, they weren't necessarily scoring goals for most of the season, but they were always playing really well. You know, the the, the overall effort was there. And I really haven't seen that lately And uh, since I came back from the uh, Christmas break. And I, I, it's, I don't know how concerned I am. I was talking about this on Twitter before the Golden Knights game. You know, I don't know what to make of this trip in terms of what it means you know it could just be a hiccup every team goes through them but at the same time this is such uh, this is so reminiscent of the Dave Haxtell era you know nothing happened and no energy no no life it's just it's concerning that this is happening you know given that they entered the Christmas break third in the metro and now they're desperately clinging on to the second wildcard spot that's not good either you know are they going to bounce back probably but it is concerning that everything seems to be falling apart at the exact same time. Yeah, like, I mean, when when we talk about concerning, like, I see guys, like our good friend Franco, who, like, I love the guy, <laughs> but, like, sometimes, like, he's so, like, doom and gloom because he starts talking about the playoffs and saying, like, well, their spot is anything but guaranteed. Well, I mean, you could pretty much say that for all teams but two or three. Yeah. And, uh, like, they've set themselves up right now they had an excellent start first half of the season from a big you know from a big standpoint a big sample size that like they're five and five in their last uh in their last 10 i think six and six in their last 12 they're pretty much playing 500 hockey over the last few weeks and like you're gonna go through stretches like this you're gonna lose three or four so from the big picture playoff wise i don't really see it as a huge deal because you see how quickly things change like Toronto was free falling at the end of November and now they're second in the Atlantic so as long as the Flyers have done a very good job early in the season to keep them afloat and very much in the thick of things to survive this now that being said I am concerned with the way they're losing because like you said it's like it's like almost the same old song and dance that you know they just don't show up and that's when We've talked about it like at nauseum this year where like it comes down to the fundamental leaders of this team. You know, the guys like Giroux and Voracek and Katoria. And I know that Katoria had two goals last night and Giroux showed up, but it's like it's almost like these guys can't really rein this team in when shit starts spiraling out of control. And you know, they've added Hayes and Niskanen and Chris Stewart to an extent for those purposes to be intangible leaders here. But, you know, obviously people are freaking out about um, Chris Stewart being in the lineup last night. And like, to be honest, I think it is because, you know, Vigneault goes in and he sees back to back or um, he sees games against LA and San Jose, two out of three games where this team has a lack of an emotional response. 
So, like, I think the fact when he puts in Stewart, it has a lot to do with it. To have that guy out there on the bench interacting with the team while this shit is going on. I And I think that that's what really is the root of all this. It's not the fact that they're losing games, but it's the fact that when shit just starts falling apart, like no one can rein it in. And a lot of Inyo's uh, coaching decisions that people have criticized of late are evident of that. Yeah. And listen, I've been very positive about the team this season, at least the best that I can be for being negative, Dan. But, you know, <laughs> I, I've tried to be positive and but I low key whether it's this show or the angry negative show or whatever I've been pointing out the faults all season you know the the lack of scoring from their top six the lack of overall good play from their their bottom six and the goal uh the defenseman rather you know seemingly not playing their best and we really it's just kind of all crashed at the same time here you know they're not getting goal scoring from everybody their bottom six has been just brutal lately and uh you know their defense which was their biggest asset for quite a while there, you know, it has not been where it needs to be. Sanheim has been a hot mess, though he's been a mess most of the season. Mel, uh, Phil Myers is having a hard time, you know, kind of earning his keep at the NHL. Gostas Bear is Gostas Bear. And, you know, even Niskanen last night, I, I noticed, I uh, noted it on the uh, Brotherly Puck Twitter last night that, you know, Niskanen did not look like the beast that he has been. And, you know, everybody goes through stretches. I'm not necessarily concerned. It's just one of these things that... Everything that I've been noting all season long is just coming to a head here, and it's resulting in some really ugly losses. It's resulting in some less-than-stellar play, and it's just all coming together at the exact same time. And and on the Angry and Negative show this week, we were talking about the summer, and, it was, and we had Nick on as a guest, and Jim was rather angry that we were talking about it. But, you know, we were t- no matter what happens this season— whether they miss the playoffs or they make it into the first round and get stomped or whether they go out of the way to the Stanley Cup final, no matter what happens, they need to seriously look in the mirror this summer. And Chuck Fletcher needs to make some changes because this is just, it's the same, This especially this stretch here, is the same thing we've seen out of them for years. And it really is time to start questioning guys like, you know, Van Riemsdyk and Voracek and even Giroud to an extent. You know, what can they bring to the table? What's left in the tank? And where do they fit here? Because this is something, it's concerning when they play like this. You know, sure, it's a bad stretch, and sure, it happens to every team, but it's so reminiscent of the last five years of mediocrity that I'm concerned moving forward, you know, into next season and the following season, you know, that this happens. If Farabee and Frost come, you know, together and they play well and they can start carrying the team by themselves, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but that's not happened yet. So, you know, I don't know. I'm concerned for the future. This stretch of hockey... Again, it may not kill them. I'm sure they're still going to be a competitive, you know, bubble team that they have been. But at the same time, this is—it's hard to look at this stretch and not be concerned about the future. Well, it's because when they were winning early in the season and just as early as two weeks ago, when they won four games in a row right before the Christmas break, we've said it all along. Like the biggest assets have been the defense and the depth players. Like we praised like that stretch when Scott Lawton and uh, Kevin Hayes were having a great run. And then, you know, Pitlick has been very good. Konechny and Lindblom were single-handedly carrying the team for much of November. But it was never like, yeah, Claude Giroux has really put his team on his back this um, for this last stretch of games. Or Voracek, a last stretch of games, it's all been Yaka Voracek. You know, like Van Riemsdyk had like that, that four or five game stretch where he was he scored like four or five goals. 
But, I mean, besides that, he's been a ghost. It's never been the guys that are supposed to carry the team. And you know what? Like, am I shocked? Like, to your point, you just made it. Am I shocked that Matt Niskanen, you know, had a couple bad games? No, it's normal. Am I shocked that Sanheim and Myers aren't stud defensemen like Dan Silver thinks they are? No, I'm not. Like, these are normal things. These are normal things, like, in throughout the course of a season. That's why they're called the dog days of the NHL. They're human beings. They're going to have bad games. It happens all the time. But the, the point is, is that when your mid-tier slash lower-end guys aren't being pulling their weight and, if, and inevitably hit a wall, it's time for your stars to step up. And the Flyers have not had that all season. The Flyers do not have one single guy who can step on the ice and single-handedly change the aspect of a game. And to be successful in the NHL nowadays, you need at least two of those guys, like the Boston Bruins. You know, there's been a misconception about the Boston Bruins this year where people think they're just steamrolling opponents left out in the center. When more time, more nights than not, it's, you know, it's single-handedly Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand dragging the rest of the guys through the mud. You know, if you look at Boston's bottom six, you know, it's not that far off from Philadelphia's. It's not like they have world beaters. You know, I was watching them the other night, and they sent out a bottom a third line of Bjork, Corrali, and Danton Heinen. Jesus. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know, they, like, I mean, is that that much better than Lawton, Hayes, and Farabee? You know, or even as early as last night, like Lawton, Farabee, and Pitlick? You know, Boston isn't being dragged up because they're dressing, I don't know, uh, player young X over David Backus. You know, like a lot of these people on Twitter say, like, oh, the Flyers off because Obey Kubel sat and Stewart isn't. Like, come on, that's a cop out. Yeah. That's a cop out. I, I, sp- I, I spoke to you last week about it that, like, I spoke to a uh, source within the NHL and close to all situations that the league wide view on the Flyers right now is that they could easily be a serious contender. If Giroux and Voracek were playing like they were two years ago. And we've said it all along, this team is not far off. But to ask a team to be considered a, like a top team in the NHL and, you know, bring it night in, night out when they don't have any superstars to pull like the dead weight at times, it's asking a lot. Yeah. And, and <laughs> last night, right before the game, the news broke that Stewart was playing over Abe Kubel and like I wasn't thrilled because I think Abe Kubel has been phenomenal since his call-up I I think it was the game in LA was the first time that you know he wasn't the superstar of the team and it was kind of like yeah you know whatever it's one game I don't care I more than likely Stewart doesn't Stewart I don't think he's gonna play in Arizona but like I don't know it's just one of those things people were raging this morning and last night that oh Stewart's in and oh you know it's all Vorobia's fault and like I don't know. This is one of the things I've been yelling about all season is the accountability of the guys. Like, you can't just blame your fourth line. Stewart played six minutes and 12 seconds last night. Uh, Vorobia played 8.51. You know, like, sure, they, you know, Vorobia had a rough game last night. He was a minus two. Stewart was a minus one. But, like, where was the rest of the team? You know, you can't just blame your fourth line guys that are playing less than 10 minutes a night for a drastic loss like we've been seeing. And that's been the case all season long. And it's been Robert Haig, of all people. You know, he keeps getting 
every time he enters the lineup for for Phil Myers, people are ready to open a vein over this shit. You know, and I just I just don't understand why you can't say, hey, you know, Giroux, why don't you step it up a little bit? And of course, he had a good game last night. But you know, I, I just I don't get why it's always the fourth line's fault when things inevitably go bad. And that's been people's go-to, you know, punching bag. Like, I wonder what would have happened last night if Abe Kubel was in over Stewart and they didn't have Stewart as a punching bag. You know, like, it's just one of those things. I remember early in the year, it was right after the Pittsburgh game. Maybe it was the Pittsburgh game. I don't know. You know, it was the Pittsburgh game. When they lost 6-1 to against Pittsburgh earlier in the year, I had somebody blame that loss on Sam Moran. And Moran didn't even play in that game. And I remember that fucking so vividly because people just want to pick on these fucking, you know, fourth liners for no reason whatsoever. And I don't know. It's one of those accountability things. I've been ranting about this all season. It drives me nuts because Twitter just wants to shit all over these four guys. You know, no matter what happens, they're going to pick on Vorobiev or Stewart or Robert Haig, whether they play or not, apparently. So I don't know. You Do you need more from your fourth line? Yes. Is it their fault they lost last night? No. You know, it's a team effort right now. The team as a whole has not been great. They just got buried early by the Golden Knights, and they just weren't able to come back. You know, it was 3-1 after the first period. And they just needed the, or uh, not 3-1, it was 4-2 after the first period. I was looking at the wrong numbers. Anyway, it's just one of those things. You need your entire team to step up. It's not Stewart's fault they lost last night. You know, and they put him in, listen, Ryan Reeves was playing, and granted, he ended up slew-footing uh, Phil Myers, and nobody came to his aid, but Jim and I did a 20-minute rant on that in the Angry Negative Show this week, if you want to your, your feelings on Enforcers today, but it was just one of those things that, it's not Stewart's fault, I know people love to blame Chris Stewart for everything that happens ever, but it's just, it's the team as a whole, this entire team needs to step up, it's not his fault that they've been losing, you know, the past three, four games, they need to just get it together, and the entire team needs to step up, it's not Stewart's fault. Well, like, I, I was looking at the, the line combinations yesterday, and I looked at that third line, and I see Lawton and Pitt, like, there with Farabee. And I'm just like, man, like, if those two guys could drop down with Roth on the fourth line, and you had Lindblom and Patrick with Farabee, like, this team would look so much different bottom six-wise. But then I really start thinking about it, and I watch the game, and I see JVR float around like a piece of garbage out mm. there. and And I'm like, would it really make a difference? Because, and we were talking about it that last week, like, you know what? If he could score goals off of player X's mother's ass every game, great. I don't care how he scores, but do it on a consistent basis. My gripe with him is that when he's scoring, it's never a sequence of goals that gives me hope or belief that it's like a sign of things to come. Right. And you pointed out when he scored the two goals against Buffalo, like, one, Hayes literally shot it off his foot and in, and the other time, JVR was trying a backdoor pass and went off a Buffalo defenseman. So, like, and I know all these analytics people just be like, oh, shot suppression, this and that. Like, even Charlie O'Connor, where I had a one-tweet exchange with him where I said, I think a problem for Vigneault trying to do line combinations is he has a $7 million winger who has to be strategically placed in the lineup because he's, you know, bringing down whichever line he's on. And he says, oh, well, sought suppression, this and that. I'm oh, just like, God. okay, so there's no point even debating it no, anymore with analytics not. people. I, I, don't, I don't even argue with these people anymore. And even Appleyard, who I really try and engage with. And God, I said, he had one this time, morning that really fucking got me on that I didn't even bother responding to, but it's just these fucking analytics. Well, what was his thing this morning? Uh, I can look it up here. I don't remember, but Alex. Well, in the meantime, I'll, 
I'll just say with Appleyard, it's like any debate that you have with him, he'll throw a stab back at you. And I'm just like, dude, do you even watch the game or do you just run to the computer once all the stats are punched into NHL.com and then just regurgitate them everywhere? Because, like, I had him say that, you know, Frost was on pace for an 82-game stretch of 33 points, which is average for a third-line center in the NHL. And I'm just like, if anyone is actually trying to tell me that Morgan Frost is an ideal third-line center in today's NHL, then I don't even know, like, if I can talk on the same planet as you. And you look at this team, and it's like they're lacking so much from their star guys that I don't even know if player X entering their bottom six would make a difference at this point. It's just, like, Kasha, for example. If you called Kasha up and put him in the lineup over Vorobiev, like, are they going to be better? Marginally. But is it going to be a difference between a win and a loss? No, probably not. And, you know, unless you want to go out and find some, you know, legitimate healthier bottom six, like a J.G. Pajot or Duclair or whatever, you know, that's the only way things are going to change. Otherwise, especially with the Phantoms, there's not a lot of help down there at this point that's going to come in and be game changers. You have a bunch of, you know, tweeners down there that, you know, in the end may not fare better than Vorobiev did. You know, Kasha looked good, and I'm sure he's got a future in the bottom six as an NHLer, but at the end of the day, you're just rearranging deck tears in the Titanic with a lot of the Flyers' bottom six issues right now, and it's something that they're going to need to address, be it at the trade deadline or over summer. You know, they're going to need to seriously rebuild a lot of that. You know, guys like Tyler Pitlick have a few good games. He had a great shot last night that was that was blocked by a defenseman, but more often than not, he's just a guy. You know, Lawton, I really like Scott Lawton and Michael Roffel. I think they're two of the most underrated players uh, as far as bottom six goes in the entire league. But they, they just, they're not they're not capable of carrying a team anymore. And maybe never have been. I mean, Roffel, it's been quite a few years since he was on the top line. So it's just, they need help in their bottom six. But at the same time, when you have nothing happening, guys like Van Riemsdyk and more often than not, Jake Voracek, it's just, you need help from your whole team and this is a win by committee team you know they don't really have the legitimate star power here but at the same time they're just a bunch of guys you know and when they're on they're on you know Giroux is playing well and Couturier is playing well like they do have a chance you know last night Giroux and Couturier gave them a chance to win but they just didn't because they didn't fucking stop the bleeding that Vegas was causing them on the back end but I don't know. This is one of those things that, I again, they're going to need to take a hard look in the mirror this summer and, and try and figure out what the best case is moving forward. Because right now, you just have a team full of guys. You know, you need a star. And sure, they don't come up very often. And this summer's free agency is looking rather slim. But if you can't find a star, at least make your bottom six impenetrable. Because right now, they are just being taken advantage of. Well, it's because there's this growing narrative... Well, it's not a growing narrative. It's been alive and well for a long time. But continuing narrative that the Flyers have all these saviors on the way. Yeah. And, like, I've debated it ad nauseum with people about Hayes, where I said, it's not just about this year with Hayes. Like, they're going to need him for at least another four years beyond this. Yeah. Like, why do you guys think, like, this wasn't, like, a one-year hole that they needed and they went out and signed a guy to seven years. Like, no, they needed a top six centerman for the foreseeable future. And it still reigns true, let's say, on the on the back end. Like, if I look at the Flyers' defense, 
Like, everyone is just saying, like, oh, yeah, well, Justin Braun is gone. Good as gone next year. I rhymed again. <laughs> but he's <laughs> as good as gone next year because Myers is inevitably going to as- assume his spot on the top pa- on the in the top four, and him and Sanheim will become the best top four, uh, second pair in the NHL. And then Adam Ginning or Cam York will break in. And it's just like, why are they, why is there all these assumptions? Like, I saw Dan Silver put out a tweet when the World Juniors started. Like, the Flyers have, and I'm pretty sure I touched on this last week, the Flyers have Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, Zamula, and York, who all have first-pairing potential. And it's just like, where do you get off on making these claims? Like, what team in the history of the NHL had five first-pairing defensemen? You know, like, and it's just like, it's this never-ending belief that the Flyers have all these rock stars in the waitings. And... In reality, I think they need to make at least another addition or two, one on defense and one up front beyond this season. Forget about this year, but moving forward for this team it, to supplement the current roster. Like I, I could see them wanting to add, you know, a bona fide top four defenseman long term, maybe to improve on Braun. Because I don't know if you know Myers is going to be ready as soon as next year, or even the year after that. And then you have a guy like Sanheim, who you pointed out, who is fucking inconsistent as all hell. And then up front on forward, like, you have JVR and Vorchek who aren't getting any younger. You can lump Giroux into that mix. Katurian and Hayes are a decent one-two pa- uh, slot uh, down the middle at center. But then Morgan Frost, like, are we just going to assume that he's going to reach superstardom next year? Travis Konechny, like, he's pretty much the only, like, young top six forward I can envision for a long time, especially now with Limblom out. So, like, I think people have to start realizing that they have to look outside the organization, to your point before, maybe make a splash in the summer, because it's not coming from within the organization. No, and there's just nobody, you know, Frost, I don't think we even talked about it. I think he got sent down uh, since our last show. I don't think we talked about it, but Frost getting sent out. Last night I saw a tweet, I think it was Steph from Broad Street Hockey. She's like, bring oh, Frost yeah. back. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, like, sure, in theory, Frost is great. He had two goals. He's on a 16-game goal start. Hasn't scored since the second game he got called up. Like, if you put Frost instead of Roby of last night, would that have been the difference maker? Absolutely not. Like, I'm not. I don't even think he played a game with the Phantoms yet. I think tonight is his first game back with the uh, the, the Phantoms. They're on the road. I believe they're in uh, Ottawa tonight. But like, fuck, <laughs> he's not making the difference. He was invisible for 16 games since his first two. You know, he's not making the difference at this point. I saw that tweet and my blood boiled immediately last night when I saw that. It's just, I don't know what these people expect. I think. Uh, people like Dan Silver o- overhype these prospects like fucking crazy. And World Juniors, you know, they've been doing it all year. Oh, Bobby Brink, you know, he looked good every single shift he had in Cam York. Oh, he's undervalued. He wasn't playing enough. And it's like, dude, like nobody else in the world has good hockey prospects except the Flyers. And, and you know, like I said, I'm sure Frost at some point over the next couple of years is going to be a fine little NHLer. But, you know, he's not a superstar right now. And Seems like it's going to take some time. I'm sure it'll click eventually and he'll be good. He'll be a nice little top six forward for the Flyers for the you know foreseeable future eventually. But right now, that's not it. Not every prospect comes in and kicks the door down. And you can't rely on prospects making it. That's why Ron Hextall failed as badly as he did. Because he sat here for years and 
told us the bullshit lies that all these players are going to be fucking superstars. And that didn't happen. They're fine. Travis Konecki and Provarov are great. Everybody else is just kind of there. You know, Sandheim just can't get it going to save his life. You know, Myers has struggled still to find his place in the NHL, and it's been a year now. But, like, I don't know. They just they need more help. And before, we were talking about it quite a few weeks ago about, you know, adding legitimate firepower for a playoff push this year, whether it be, you know, a, a Taylor Hall or whatnot. You know, they don't really have that anymore. And based on how this trade deadline and summer's looking, it's not like they're gonna, anybody of those guys are going to be available. But, you know, they do need to find some help and they're going to need to get creative because they've got a whole bunch of highly paid guys that aren't getting the job done. It won't be easy to trade. So, you know, Chuck Fletcher does have a lot on his plate this summer. And uh, fixing this team is not going to be easy because there are still flaws here. Well, because there's flaws because... You know, I, I've said it that the only fault you can really put on Chuck Fletcher over the past summer was that he overvalued the current guys on the roster. You know, adding Hayes and Pitlick and Braun and Niskanen were meant to be good insulation moves. And all of his additions have lived up to my expectations. And like when I and I include Braun in that because was I expecting Braun to come in here and be a shutdown top three defenseman? No, but he's having to play in that role because guys like Gossespierre and Sanheim aren't doing as well as they have. Like, there's this big thought, like, oh, yeah, Braun is going to be the, on the second pair. And you know what? He has been. And for the most part, he averages the fourth most minutes and at times more minutes than Sanheim. But you don't think that the, he would, like, the idea was for Gossespierre to be playing ahead of him? Like, on most teams, like even though you're on the quote second pair, a third pairing defenseman could always get more minutes than you. But he's been played above his head because guys like Sanheim and Gossesbeer can't fucking get it going on uh, on a consistent basis. And like I look at this team, and you just brought it up like Frost. One day, I'm sure he'll be a good NHL player. You can tell that he's not a bust. He just needs more time. Faraby, maybe he will one day become a 45, 50 point player. But, like, even after that, like, what, you want to bank on Bobby Brink in four years from now when fucking Provorov is near his, like, when he's approaching his late 20s? And we went down that rabbit hole a few weeks ago. But it's, like, they, they didn't, like, they have a lot of prospects who lived up to the hype. Like, I say Provorov was a success. Hart was a success. Konechny was a success. Sanheim was a success. You know, you got all these guys who, you know, they hit, but... Everyone bought into your point that Hextall was saying, like, oh, like, all of them are going to be amazing. Like, you would draft a fucking Abekubal in the second round and everyone was doing fucking parties in the streets. But it's like, what, you think that, like, because a player got drafted inside the top 90 in the NHL, like, he's going to fucking blow the doors off once he enters? Like, my God, guys. Like, and we talked about it last week. Like, a lot of first-round picks after the first round, it's a fucking crapshoot. Like, what are you really expecting? And it's just, I look at this Flyers team, and within the organization, and to your point, everyone worth a ship from the Phantoms has been called up. I don't know how people could still be scared at the fact and resist the fact that the Flyers need to look outside their organization for help. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think anybody outside the top five drafted is more often than not a crapshoot, you know, in terms of what their potential is, in terms of superstar potential anyway. But listen, you, you got to – this this the, one of the things that the Ron Hextall disciples have left is staying within the organization and thinking everything is going to be better from the inside. And that's just not how it works. And look back at the cup winners over the last, you know – fucking decade for that matter a lot of these guys have their homegrown talent you know chicago and pittsburgh have some of their own players but for the most part they went out and added guys that were able to come in and make things happen the st louis blues perfect example ryan o'reilly tyler bozak you know they made additions that made the team better and forced them you know pushed them over the the edge to superstardom and it's something a flyer is going to need to seriously consider you know, again, maybe not this trade deadline, but I'm sure over summer, again, they're going to need to look, going to need to try to do something here because it's just clear that shoving the same square peg in the round hole that they've been doing for years just isn't working. And I don't want to come off as too negative here because I think they can turn it around and they can still make it, but it is worth noting. And we've been talking about it all season that the issues are here. You know, no matter how good the Flyers seem, there were issues here. We were pointing it out all year. You know, the lack of scoring, the lack of depth. The defense looked fine, but there's always the chance they're going to make it happen. You know, the goaltending has been a little shaky lately because they're on the road. And the road stats are, are a mess. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, like, it's just about trying to find things here and and Kevin Hayes is great I love Kevin Hayes and uh, you know I think for the most part this core with the exception of Van Riemsdyk is 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 still capable of doing something but it's starting to question whether they can you know Vorchek's getting old Zeru's getting old hell Couturier isn't even a little kid anymore what's he 28 now 29 you know he's he's still 27 he just turned 27 oh look at that he did Happy birthday, Sean. Yeah, well, well, he was, uh, I think when he got drafted, he turned 19, like a month or two after he got drafted. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Oh, wait, when was his birthday? December 7th. Okay, so I'm lying. But, uh, <laughs> he, he was an older kid in his draft class. Anyway, the Flyers, yeah. you know, it's just about getting it going here. And they need the leadership to step up. They need somebody to write this goddamn ship now. And we can talk about the summer all day long, but... They're still in the playoff hunt right now, and this schedule's not getting any easier. Those California teams were must-wins because now you're facing some serious competition. They play the Coyotes tomorrow, the Hurricanes next week, Capitals, Lightning, Boston, St. Louis, Montreal, L.A., Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Like, there's a lot of serious competition coming up. And if this team can't keep their head above water against the fucking Kings, what are they going to do when they face Boston? You know, or St. Louis, are they going to get their asses kicked by them too? Like things could get out of control very, very quickly here if they don't write the ship real quick. Yeah. Like, look, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on the season because even last night's loss, like I found like they showed a lot more character last night than in the prior games. Well, you watched it. Would you say that it was a bit of a different circumstance last night? It reminded me of the Colorado game from a few weeks back where the Flyers weren't bad. It's just the other team was so much better. And, you know, the Flyers did have a rough first period, but after that they looked pretty good. But it, it was just no matter how good the Flyers looked, the Knights just looked that much better. And it's one of those teams I tweeted out during the game. It's like this proves to me that this team is just not quite there yet. You know, if they faced – if they made it all the way to the cup final and faced Colorado or Vegas or, you know, a team like that – I don't think the Flyers would be able to even come close to them. 
just because there's so much talent here. There's so much depth. And again, it just comes back to the Flyers not having the same caliber of players on their team. They're good. They can hang. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to facing a team like that, and you know, again, could they go against a Boston team in their own, you know, their own conference, a Boston or a Washington? I'm not sure if they could even do that yet. So, I, like, I'm not ready to throw in the towel by no means. You know, I've put, <laughs> I started to believe in this team this year. Damn it, I'm going to follow it through. But it, 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 it's just, it's the star power when they come against a team like Vegas or Colorado from a few weeks back where you see a good team in the Flyers versus a great team in Vegas. And that was the really the difference last night. Well, that, that's a, yeah, it's a very, it's a, you pretty much perfectly articulated it that like, I like, I wouldn't be shocked if the Flyers won their last two games against the Hurricanes and the Coyotes, because it's that it's, it's different in that way this year that like, I'm not expecting the sky to fall at any given point. So, like, and I said it, like, we you touched on the road and home records where, like, man, like, at this point, like, if you could just maintain a 500 road record because you're so damn good at home, that would suffice. And I still think this is a playoff team. I think that they're up there, like, in the second tier of the NHL. But to your point that... I, the star power just isn't there when you're matching up against these elite teams. And you know what? That's okay. That's fine. I guess you have to give a bit of baby steps here. But, like, I just want people to, like, not, like, completely panic as if, like, la- like the doors are flying off and everything's crumbling down. Like, at least last night they showed some fight. They battled back. They just got burned in a poor stretch of three minutes of hockey in that first period. And then you add that Pacioretty goal like near the end. But it's like when I see this team, it's not like in years past where they're just so brutal and they have a bad coach. And, you know, like I've even seen people like blame like Michelle Terry because the power plays shit. It's shit. It's shit. It's shit. And you know what? Like I'm not taking blame away. I'm not absolving Terry from all that. But like there's this misconception that like the power play was like firing on all cylinders before he got here. Yeah. Last year it was like 23rd and people are freaking out that Gossa Spears in there, but forget that for the last, you know, 11 months before Terry got here, he was blasting shots into people's shin pads. They're mad that Voracek isn't there, but then they forget that all he did was throw it blindlessly through the new, through the slot. You know, even Giroux on the left side, like, yeah, do I want Giroux there? Yeah, I do. But like, you know, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look and this year and say, like, fuck, you can't run the power play through Giroux on the off wing like they used to. They have to try a bit more trickery. Like, it's this team is good and the, the system is strong, but, like, these top guys not pulling their weight like they have in years past is really hurting them. And, like, you brought it up last week. Imagine if you had a GM like Fletcher make additions like Hayes, Niskan, and Braun back two years ago when all these guys were having career years. Yeah. I started to see people on Twitter over the past week or so. Oh, they need to fire Terry and they need to fire Yao. It's like, are you fucking kidding? We were already doing this. But, yeah, the home and road splits via Bill Meltzer today. The home stats are as follows. They're 13-2-4. They're fourth uh, in goals per game. They're first in goals against average. They're eighth on the power play and fifth on the penalty kill. On the road, they are 9-12-1, 23rd in goals per game, uh, 29th in goals against average, 20th on the power play, and 21st on the penalty kill. Like, how does that even happen? 
how are you an elite team at home and a bottom feeder on the road? And I just, it, it's been something that's boggled my mind. You know, if you want to look at the overalls here, like they're doing fine. You know, they're fi- like you were saying, they're about 500 over their last six or seven or 12 or whatever it is. But listen, when the numbers are that different for thing, it just, it blows my fucking mind how you can be that good at home and that bad on the road. Like what, what's the issue here? Well, it, it's even like, yeah, and I'm not trying to blame him here, but, like, fuck, man, look at the way that Carter Hart plays yeah. on the road compared to home. And, like, I'm not saying it's his fault, but you can't tell me that he is even playing nearly the level that he's playing at home. Like, if you look at his home stats, he's a fucking all-star. I think his save percentage is over 930, and then when he plays on the road, he just looks like an everyday 1B goalie, like just an average starting goaltender for a mid-tier team. And I don't know if it's preparation. I don't know if it's mindset. Like, again, like, I really don't want to start going down the blame the coach road because it's the third coach in a fucking calendar year. Like, we're really going to fucking do that after it's the same core for the last eight. So, like, I I think it comes down to the leadership. And I don't want to shit on the leadership. I know that Kevin Hayes went on spitting chiclets and said it's the closest team he's ever been on and all this. But, like, it has to something to do with it like when you have guys like Giroux and Voracek and Hayes and I guess uh, Sean Katori that are supposed to lead this team and a lot of games uh, these guys don't get up for it and not Katori and Hayes because those two have been like the two most important forwards all season long but like Giroux and Voracek and Van Riemsdyk and Gossespierre you know like is nothing more than a third pairing defense it's hard for the rest of the guys to pull their weight when they're trying to, you know, follow the leader, but the leaders aren't fucking leading anything. And I think that's the only thing it comes down to. And it's nothing that can be evaluated on a spreadsheet or through analytics. These are intangible things that go into hockey because there's nothing on a stat line that can justify being such an elite team at home and such a poor team on the road. Carter Hart at home is he has a 149 goals against and a 947 save percentage. On the road, he has a 384 goals against and an 855 save percentage. That is, and, one of those numbers is an elite Vesna caliber and the other one is like an AHL backup. Like, <laughs> what the And fuck? it's important to remember that it's not just like, oh, it's a product of his placement. Like, no, he's struggled himself. It's not all on the team, those numbers. Brian Elliott at home is a 274 goals against and a 900 save percentage. On the road, it's a 321 goals against and a 901 save percentage. So, I mean, Elliott has had a few good games on the road, but for the most part, they just put him in to take the brunt of the impact so Carter Hart doesn't have to. It's just, I can't even fathom why this team is so bad on the road. It's just, those numbers are insanity. It's such two ends of the spectrum from the same team from it just it blows my fucking mind that it can be that bad well because you don't think it's just like because i see some people who just refuse to blame Hart ever which is fine like he's like one of the farthest guys from any of the blame but like dan like when you watch the games of carter Hart home on the road it's when he struggles on the road it's not just because of the team no it's he was a mess uh, last night, and I believe he played one of the LA. I don't remember which California game he was in, but I think he relieved Brian Elliott in San Jose. Maybe either way, it's just those. It's not strictly Hart's fault, but by no means is he an innocent victim here. 
You know, he's just playing out of his mind good at home. And and, and he gets on the road and is just sure the team didn't look good. In L.A., when uh, Elliot was in the net in L.A., like, God, the team just sucked around him. Like, the first goal was totally his fault, you know, that he didn't see it. But the rest of them is just the team just doesn't give a shit, you know. And, and it, I don't know, Elliot and Hart are two different beasts entirely, especially at this point in their respective careers. But it, it's definitely not not Hart's fault, you know. It, it, he's, he's had his fair share of stinkers in this one as well, and it's just – the team around him has not been great on the road, but he himself has not been great on the road. And I'm sure nobody wants to blame Carter Hart. I'm sure they just want to th- blame Robert Hague instead. But, you know, it, it's it's definitely... His hands are not clean. It's his fault as well. It's not all his fault, but he's definitely to blame for his subpar road play. And, you know, it's okay. Like, it's not taboo to point out when Hart, you know, has a bad game. It kind of but is, I actually. Get- yeah in in this environment for sure but like how i look at it is like even like for when hard struggles like there has to be some games where your team is going to outscore the other team and the flyers i find this year have not not on too many occasions been able to outscore teams in a shootout or and not a literal shootout but like track meets kind of it always has to be one of those like structured grinded out wins and that's okay because that's how you win in the playoffs but with a 21 year old goaltender dubbed as the messiah of the organization there are times you're gonna have to bail them out and there hasn't been too many times this year where the forwards have bailed out the goaltenders or the defense for that matter it always seemed that you know they were riding great games from the back end and in net and the forwards, you know, just did their job. It was, I don't ever remember one instance, and I could be wrong, so I don't want people to jump all over me, but I remember so many games where Hart, or even Elliot for that matter, went above and beyond their head, or the defense played, like, way above and beyond from, like, crazy games from Niskanen and Provorov, or even Sanheim and Braun have had a good outings where they've played above their head, but there hasn't been a game where I could say, like, man, the Fords really just exploded and, you know, like, um, bailed out the subpar play of the defense or the goaltending. If the goaltending or the defense aren't playing up to expectations and as well as they can and should, you know, the game is pretty much just dead in the water. Yeah, and that's really been a consistent problem with this team for a long time is is – Nobody can bail anybody out. You know, they kind of win or lose as a team. When they're playing well, everybody seems to be playing relatively well. And and we saw a lot this year. You know, it, this was a very structured team for a long time. They were winning by committee. You know, they were winning games. And when they lose, it's kind of because nobody really seems to step up and take it. And I think that's been the biggest issue with this road trip. This is just a bunch of guys just free-falling out there. You know, just skating around, doing not much of anything. No real urgency. I mean, they had a 6-on-3 last night for a minute and four seconds. And I think they had one decent chance that was blocked by McNabb in front before it ever made it to Flurry. It's like, dude, you know, it's just, there's no, there's no, uh, I don't even know what the word would be. Hurry. There, there, nobody's interested in getting it done. So, I don't know. It's it's a team effort here. Again, I think this is a very strong team. I think Kevin Hayes does have a point in that interview that everybody seems to be together. Because they do. And they seem to win or lose together. And it's just a matter of getting back on the winning page here. I don't want to throw the season out. But, you know, it's that time of year where I start to keep my eyes on the standings a little bit. You know, we're halfway through now. And they are, uh, let's see. 
or point back for first wild card spot. They're four points back for the third place. So you know they're starting to fall a little bit. You got Florida hot on their heels. They've been uh, uh, playing relatively well since the break. They have 47 points, and luckily, well, oh, Blue Jackets are at 46. So, I mean, they could even get passed by the Blue Jackets here if they don't get their shit together. So, it's just about kind of getting it together. And this team can, can be good. We've seen flashes of brilliance this year. Maybe once they get back on home ice, they'll be able to figure it out. They really don't have long stretches of road or home play this year. We talked about a little bit that on the Anger Negative show this week, where most of it is just a couple games on the road, a couple games at home. You know, they've three at home after they come back from this trip, then they go on the road, then they're back home for uh, three on the road, and they have a home, away, home, away, home, away, 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 home, away, home, home, (laughs) home, away. You know, there's not really long stretches of home or away play, so maybe that'll help a little bit because they have been forced to go on these long road trips for like three or four times a season. So, you know, the schedule's not going to get any easier here as January comes to an end, but they do have more of a consistent home away schedule and more of an even split there so maybe they'll be able to get some momentum at home uh, the three game stretch is coming up against the capitals tampa and bruins if they can beat any of those teams and if they can and those are big wins you know if they can gain some momentum and beat those teams then maybe they can carry that into st louis on the road and they can carry that to pittsburgh on the road and detroit in the road you know so all it takes is a little bit to get going here, but it's the problems that I'm seeing in these losses that really make it hard to uh say i'm confident this team is going to turn it around yeah, and like it's it's they're really in a weird spot because I wouldn't be shocked if you know they win the next two games and like we forget about this whole bad four stri- games you know out in California and Vegas because I could see that happening if they win Car- in Arizona and Carolina before they go back home they end three and three you know they're still very much in the wild card race and I think people just will quickly forget but to your point there are a lot of issues that question whether or not they're going to be able to get there or um, that they'll be able to get back on the winning track. You know, they've played so well at home this year against really good teams, like when they beat uh, Washington. and Or no, sorry, they lost in the shootout, but they played a really good game. And they've gone into Boston and beat Boston. And they've, but the thing with the Flyers is, is that even when they were winning and they went on, I think they won like, I think it was 17, they went like 17, 6, and 4, some crazy run yeah. from end of November to like middle of December. And we were talking like, you, we still didn't completely buy into them, that they were missing something. And then I was kind of looking at it. So like, I put it out on Twitter, I think two days ago, or it could have been today. But if you could add one thing for this team at the trade deadline, as a middle of the road defenseman, Scoring winger or legitimate three C, what would you go? Right now, it would probably a legit three C, just because they need all the help they can get down the middle. Yeah, and I, I leaned more towards that as well because you kind of see that Vigneault's balls are kind of in a vice when he's trying to mix and match these <laughs> these yeah. line combinations. Like they they don't really have a lot of options. Like JVR is pretty much glued to Kevin Hayes right now. Yeah. And you have a lot of wingers who aren't versatile. Like, they have no wingers besides really Farabee, who can switch from left to right comfortably. Now Lawton is forced back into the middle as a necessity. I think it's no secret. And I've talked about it at length that he's so much more effective when he's on the wing, especially when he was playing with Kevin Hayes and Joel Farabee. And, like, they just, you know, Claude Giroux just will not go back to center for whatever reason. 
And it's just, I look at this team and, and I just, yeah, scoring winger would be nice, but they really can't mix and match any of their lines besides what they have and interchanging a bit of the deck chairs in the top six until they get a 3C. Yeah, and uh, Frost isn't going to fill that role. I have a feeling we'll see him back at some point, probably in a month, month and a half. You know, At some point, I think they're going to send him down just to get some confidence back with the Phantoms. But even when he comes back up, it's not like he's going to you know, make an immediate impact and save the day. Sorry, everybody that believes he will, but I don't think so. And and I don't know. I don't know what to make of this team right now. You know, I had so much confidence and so much faith, and I just bought in thinking, ah, oh, this is the year things are going to change, and then they do this. You know, it's not over by any means, but at the same time, it is a little concerning that the same old issues that we've seen with this team for a decade now are starting to rear their head again. And if they can get it going, you know, if they can somehow beat the Coyotes tonight and beat the Hurricanes on Tuesday, like... All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, you can turn around and say it was just a bad stretch. But, you know, if things don't go their way uh, tomorrow and things don't go their way on Tuesday, like all of a sudden, you know, we're back in this conversation of, you know, what really is this team? And I think that's a good question right now. You know, what are the Philadelphia Flyers? This is a team that has lacked an identity for years. And I think they're trying to find it. And that's why I think they're kind of all over the place in, in their games where, you know, the good efforts and they still lose. You know, there was a stretch there for a while this season where they were playing good hockey but losing in overtime and shootouts and just not playing well. And then they, before Christmas they were playing really well and now they're just kind of not playing well. So I, I think it is the fact that they kind of lack an identity. I, I think that kind of stuff builds with time. I do like the, you know, guys like uh, Kevin Hayes have come in and really seem to make their own mark on this team. But I think it's a fair question, and I think it's one that we're going to ask for, you know, at least the next couple of weeks now, is what are the Philadelphia Flyers, and what do we really have here? Yeah, it's a good it's a good point because, again, like, I live in Canada, so they don't get as much publicity up here. But even when they were on that crazy run and they had a couple games against Toronto, you know, the local media was talking about them, and they were – a few guys were saying, I remember they were like, the one thing about the Flyers that makes me reserve some optimism is, like, when you think of them, like, obviously Claude Giroux is the face of the franchise, but is he still really? Like, is it Yakov Voracek and Claude Giroux and JVR and kind of Shane Gossespierre, like that old guard? Or, like, now is it, like, Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov and Sean Couturier? Maybe is he the next captain? And, you know, Kevin Hayes has entered. And the more I think about it, and you brought it up really early in the show, is, like, even if they do, let's say, get to the playoffs and win a round, like, does that excuse the possibility of moving on from Giroux and Voracek and JVR? I don't know, because when I look at this team and I see, like, how young they are and, like, who are their new star players and, like, Konechny and Provorov, and then I see some of these old guys tying up a lot of money on the cap and, like, what they can maybe do, like, you know, maybe it is time that, like, next season, like, you see a new guy with the C and a new guy with the A and, you know, Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov are, like, the assistant captains every game. And I'm not saying that's what's wrong with it. I'm not trying to run Giroux out of town. So, no, please, people don't try and run off with that. <laughs> but, like, it is a question that should be – that needs to be asked. Because, like you said, like, who are they? Like, is it time that no matter what, like, maybe it's it's just that time to freshen it up. Like, I remember that year in 2011-12 when – the Flyers didn't have a captain for much of that year. And, you know, all the guys who wore letters from the year before were gone, you know. Pronger got hurt, and he was out. Richards was gone. Carter was gone. Gagne was gone. Like, 
You know, you had Briere and Giroux, and okay, Teamnin was a long time assistant, but they were skating around with the A's, and like, it just, and obviously that's a very like minute detail, but like, it changes the feeling around the team. And like, for me, like, I've played on like relatively serious hockey teams, and like, just when like you see a shift in the leadership, and even something so trivial as like a, the presentation on a sweater and, you know, the aesthetics of what the team comes across on TV as who the leadership is, sometimes that changes it. And like how fresh that year was with Giroux and Voracek and Simmons and Braden Shen and Sean Couturier and Yarmir Yager, like maybe that's what this team needs to move on and hand the reins of leadership to that next group and take some of that money that's tied up in that old guard and give it to some new younger talent from outside the organization. Yeah, we have uh, Bobby Thomas on from time to time, and he talks about, and he still plays hockey, and he talks about guys, you know, and their their positivity and what those guys can add to the team, you know, the, the leadership. And, you know, as fans, we don't necessarily get a look at what goes on there, you know, to, to the full extent. You know, what Drew really does, what Voracek and Hayes and Couturier really do, they're all wearing the A's, but... This is a core that has been here for fucking ever. You know, Voracek, 2011. Scott Lawton, or uh, Sean Couturier, rather, 2011. You know, these are people that have been here a decade. And maybe it is time to freshen things up. And I'm sure we're going to hear this and go, but Daniel, yeah, no, that doesn't mean you're going to trade, you know, Claude Giroux either. Whatever. You know, I, I'm listen, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, dump everybody. Because if they dumped everybody, they should have done it fucking five years ago when Hextall took over. But, you know, it is time, I think, to add a fresh face to this group, whether that means dumping Voracek or, or JVR and, you know, putting that money with another legitimate star. Hell, fucking Ryan O'Reilly would have gone a long way a couple years ago. What was that, last summer, two summers ago, whenever it was. Well, it, 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 you missed your opportunity for that, guys. You know, I don't know if Taylor Hall would have been you know, anybody like that or if they ever had a legitimate chance at bringing him in. But, you know, that would have shaken things up that would have given this team new life and it's just it's time to do something like that as much as you got to fix the bottom six I think it is time to start questioning this core as well and you know I know people don't like it when you question them and, and Voracek's great and JVR's you know analytics are through the roof or, or what have you but it is time to start questioning what this team is made out of moving forward and uh, we did a big segment on the anger negative show this week about this as well it's just kind of you know what there is to do this summer and I think Chuck Fletcher once again has his plate full and I trust him with what he's done everybody that he brought in this year has been uh, effective more often than not so I, I definitely trust him to do that again this coming summer you know whether it's a couple older veterans like Matt Niskanen just to kind of steer these guys in the right direction or you know whether it be somebody you know a bottom six guy that can change it up like Tyler Pitlick you know I, I think they do need some help and uh, I, I have full faith that Chuck Fletcher will do it no matter what the outcome of this season is yeah, no, me too. Like, I, I think he has a good finger of the pulse on this team. I think he hired the perfect bench boss with Elaine Vigneault. I think Vigneault has really been trying to, you know, evaluate what he has in his leaders, what he has in this core group of guys. And I, it's, you know, I just think there's so many positives on this team. And I do truly believe that they'll win the next two games on the road trip and they'll go home with a 500 record on this West Coast swing and like this will all like just fade away as a distant memory and they'll just get back on a track and make the playoffs relatively comfortably. But again, like that doesn't change the fact that like there still will be underlying problems. And I just think that these problems can be fixed with a few moves, big moves that are more likely for the summer. But I just don't want them to squander these amazing 
the, like this amazing window that they could have with Konechny and Couturier and Provorov. We've talked about there's so many positives to this team, to this coaching staff, to what, you know, could be. But there's just some things about that top end of the lineup that, yes, like you just said, the bottom six needs to be tinkered with. And, you know, they will have to eventually find a solution for, you know, replacing Limblom and even possibly Patrick long term. But, you know, it may come at the expense from changing up that top end of the lineup. And, you know, I have people, you know, still clamoring about cap space. And I saw Franco put it out yesterday. Like, why can't the Flyers do a move like the Calgary Flames to just dump salary? And it's like, well, like, the Flyers don't even have those kind of players anymore. You don't look at one guy like a Yuri Laterra or a Dale Weiss or an Andrew McDonald who arguably shouldn't even be in the lineup but is making a, a big paycheck. Right. All the guys that they're paying bring something of value to the lineup, but, like, it's not the Bronze and the Niskanens or the Hayes that are filling major holes. It's guys like Goss Spears making four and a half on the third pairing, not doing his job. Van Riemsdijk making seven million a year, not doing his job. Ditto for Voracek. And I know Appleyard will want to say, well, that's average for first line players, but that's not what those guys are. Yeah. You, you know, I'm sure analytically they're great. And, and Frost is an analytically is a great third liner. But reality is, if you're watching the games, you're just not seeing that. And I haven't seen it out of Van Riemsdyk. He had that you know, a couple good games there in Buffalo and Ottawa where you know the bounces went his way. And he's been absolutely quiet in the last five or six since. So. I don't know. I don't. I feel like I say to her, I'm so goddamn negative when you do the shows. I don't want to be. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I don't want to be. Like, I really like what I've seen out of this team more often, not this year, but it's the same cracks in the foundation that I've been talking about all year that have just reared their ugly head all at the same time and made it hard to sit here and go. Without a doubt, this team is great. You know, there ne- changes need to be made both to their top and bottom six, and they. And, I don't know. I, I just, I want to believe. I really do. And then they sh- fucking shit the bed like they had the past four or five games. And it just makes it hard to, to without a doubt, be so bought into this team. So I still want to be positive. And if they come back and they put on a good showing against Arizona tonight, last time they played Arizona, they the, the Coyotes just strangled them defensively and made it impossible for them to do just about anything. Uh, Hurricanes. I actually don't know what they've been doing lately. Haven't heard too many uh, celebrations coming, so maybe they haven't been so good, but check their... Uh... Oh, they're one-two well, in a row. Fantastic. Great. <laughs> well, but, like, I mean, but I mean, like, just to, like, touch on that a bit, it's like, you know, the Islanders are have one point more than the Flyers in the last ten. The Capitals are on a two-game losing streak and are 5-5. And are five and five. You know, okay, the Hurricanes have won two in a row, but they even went through a down spurt. So, like... When people freak out that they've lost the games, like, that shit's going to happen. You're going to lose three or four. You're going to lose two or three in a row at times. That's going to happen. It's just what – if you want to nitpick and be concerned, be concerned from the way they showed up. But, like, even if, like, they're going to lose games, like you just said, like against the Coyotes. Like, they played a good game, but they got strangled. And Coyotes are top of the league for a reason this year. And it's just, like, they're going to lose games, but, like – it's the way that they come out that is the concerning fashion. Yeah, and uh, hopefully, the, hopefully that changes against the Coyotes. But uh, not holding my breath just yet, everybody. Uh, I think that's about it. You got anything else you want to touch upon this week? No, and I'm sure we'll. Well, if we miss anything, we'll clear it up on OMB on uh, Sunday. That's right. We'll be back Sunday with a new OMB podcast. I will be back Monday night with a new Angry Negative show. 
uh, probably Thursday night as well. So that'll be fun. If you have not subscribed to the new Angry Negative Show channels, be sure to do that. Check out uh, at Angry Negative or at National Pod Net for the links. Be sure you subscribe to not miss an episode. Uh, we are separate from Brotherly Pod now. You can check Brotherly Pod out at Brotherly underscore Pod on Twitter, at Brotherly Puck as well, at Dan the Flyer Fan. For myself, if you want to complain to me about how wrong I am on this episode. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at A to Marker 25. All right, everybody. We'll be back next weekend to bitch and complain even more, I'm sure. And uh, until then, everybody, goodbye and good night.